Welcome back to another uh, Magnus and Marcus podcast on coaching. I'm here, as always, with John Marcus. Welcome, John. Thank you, and I'm here for the people, because that's why we keep coming back. Thank you, everyone, for all your kind words, tweets, text messages, shout-outs to Steve and I hate. This little podcast would just be two guys talking and geeking out about coaching if it weren't for the people. I'm here for the people. Thank you. That's right, man. As uh, just before we get into it, uh, shout out to the guys. I think they were from Malone who stopped me at literally midnight in the airport on my way back from Mount Sac and started talking about the podcast. So it's really cool for us to hear that people actually listen to what we say. So uh, we're hoping to bring you guys a uh, another good episode. And today, um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about knowing your athlete. So looking at what all that entails, how to read your athlete and all that good stuff. So um, when you brought this up, John, one, one of the things that, that kind of popped into my head was the differences in, in how I treat certain athletes, not because I'm trying to, you know, segment them off or because one's better than another, but because it's almost like they're different personality types and what they bring to the table um, require almost different coaching methods, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I could add at every sports car. It's not in different conditions. Sports cars are in different conditions. So some may be, you know, you get down total, like I'm injured or a lot of emotional hangups that you have to fully build. Some may be new off the box or off the, um, uh, off the car dealership. And then it's like, okay, that thing's just ready to go right away. Some may be certified pre-owned. Some may be, you know, you buy it off Craigslist type deal, right? So every every athlete you have is like a different car or sports vehicle, and you got to figure out what you need to do or provide that vehicle from a TLC standpoint to make sure it's in optimal prime condition so it's rip-roaring ready to go when it counts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's kind of, just to throw some examples in there, it's like, you know, I have certain athletes who... Um, who preparing for a race need a certain motivational style and need to get pumped up and jacked up and get reinforced on confidence. And then other athletes, you go and give them their pre-race talk and it's the exact opposite, right? It's this kind of calming and, and, uh, and caution and, you know, just chill out and downplaying stuff. And, and that right there really exemplifies the approach you have to take. And, same thing when you're dealing, I think you see the same thing when you're dealing with athletes coming off a race, right? So how you approach that, it can be completely different. And managing that in a, a competitive team environment is, is very interesting. So I'd love to hear, why don't we start with this? How do we identify the different needs? How do you get to know your athletes? We'll start with that. Good. I, I mean, for me, I'm a big watch and learn and pattern recognition guys. So like with my freshmen, it takes about six months to a year, honestly, of just watching these guys and gals every day at practice, what their demeanor is, how they're handled one the stress of training. But more important stress too of academia and social work that comes with being a college student athlete. And then three three just how they meant the apex stressors, which has all right, the you know, finally the midterms, you have a big project. So oh, we got a big workout and you got a big invitation. How do they do that and what triggers do they have about the best of them and the worst of them? Because we all have different triggers. So 
sometimes it's hard to cognizant of what those triggers are. Um, and that's what the coach's job is to find that out through pattern. So I'm always a big believer in sitting and watching, waiting, and trying to see what's habitual in an athlete. And so, yeah, it's the, it's the day-to-day pulse with the athletes in a college setting that's so important from the uh, uh, pattern recognition standpoint. Now, if you don't see the athlete on a day-to-day basis, then the, it gets a little trickier because if you're just writing workouts and hoping that your workouts have this amazing physiological impact, it might not have the impact you want to have because you're not seeing what the demeanor of that athlete is on the day you describe that session. So I always tell people... 5% of coaching, the easiest 5% of coaching is writing workouts. That's it. The easiest part. The hard part of coaching is the other 95% that is the relationship building, the pattern recognition, the identification about what people need mentally and emotionally at different times within a training cycle or prepping for races during, for, during races and also recapping. So you can't replace being there. So I really encourage people to maximize the time they have with their athletes, you know, whether it's in a training session or even on a gun ride or bus ride to a meet, plane ride if you guys travel together to a meet, that kind of critical time of getting to know that person, that young man, that woman, that other um, individual you're working with a little deeper about what their likes and dislikes are really goes a long way in the effectiveness of your coaching and what's that athlete in mind. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Is that you know, the biggest thing I, I like to do is, is like you said, that pattern recognition, it's observation. So it's being to step back and see how, almost see how your athletes interact and you can kind of assign that to a group or pattern. So similar to you, like the, the first thing I love to see is like how they interact with their teammates. Like what's the team dynamic? Um, all that good stuff, both in a practice setting and outside of a practice setting. In a practice setting, it's easy. Like, you know, they come to practice, you observe them, or if you go on runs with your team, I think that's fantastic occasionally to see how they interact on that that standpoint. A lot of times I'll just kind of sit back at the back of the pack on a run and see, see what the group dynamics are. But outside of uh, the track world, I think that's where as you mentioned, like those trips come in huge, like the the cross country trips or even the track trips on the distance squad is seeing how they interact and all that good stuff um, gives you a hint or gives you an indication of what they need as a person um, to be able to perform. Um, the other, <laughs> the other big things I, I like to do is, is I like to, I like to challenge people in certain ways so on the track or in practice, we'll, we'll mess with like social dynamics a little bit by changing groups and, you know, um, maybe making someone else lead who's doing, who's not the top guy and who has, uh, you know, maybe a slightly shorter rep or something like that and changing dynamics and seeing how people react to it. Because like, for example, you know, coming out of high school, occasionally we'll get, you know, that big time recruit top dog guy. And uh, he's used to dominating everything, and you throw him in the workout, and he wants to continue that progress. And when he gets challenged, you get this, you know, almost overreaction. Like it's like, wait a minute, I'm the guy. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing trying to beat me? And it's, 
it's you really learn a lot on how to how to guide uh someone by seeing those interactions um one last thing i want to point out because i do a lot of as you mentioned kind of that email phone all that coaching from afar which makes it incredibly difficult um because you don't get that day-to-day interaction and get to know people's uh, own nuances um and instead you know what what you almost have to rely on is is uh that relationship between you and your athlete being uh very upfront and honest but also you have to learn like people's very subtle cues like for example um if a certain athlete emails me and says that went okay or the workout was good, that might mean something completely different than if athlete B told me the exact same thing. So you almost have to be on the same page in terms of what I'd call your descriptors. So when they tell you something, you have to know where that falls in a range. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because you can see it based on if they're like, you know, this optimistic person who sees things glass half full, they'll always say their workout is pretty good. So a pretty good workout for this person might be that felt horrible for the pessimistic person. So it's like adjusting that that scale um, based on these subtle nuances of what they say or how they convey it or their emotion in their voice. Like those small things become really, really big when you're coaching from afar. Um, yeah, so, you know, piggybacking on that concept of understanding people's cues and what their demeanor is, whether they're a pessimist, optimist, kind of, you know, lukewarm person. I mean, you know, we have different personality types that we deal with all the time in coaching. Like, you know, a lot of my guys on the team are just, you know, jabber mouth, middle distance guys who are going to, you know, talk trash the whole time. I'm better than you. I can beat you in anything. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to beat you at ping pong. Oh, I'm going to, you know, take you down here, this and that. But then sometimes you have that kind of quiet, steady, eddy demeanor um, type, you know, I call silent assassin, who doesn't say a whole lot. He's not going to give you a whole lot of feedback, but, you know, and he's not going to provide you with that feedback and you have to inquire and dig a little deeper. But when they're saying, yeah, that was good, I mean, that's really big for the guy or the gal, or it wasn't so bad. So a lot of times, coaches, I feel like we have a type of athlete that we feel like we work best with or we want the athlete to, you know, be ex- expressive or be very um, uh, explicit with their feedback. But that's not always the case with different personalities. I think that's where you respect the capacity of coaching as a service-oriented profession and you're work you're working with a you know a wide spectrum of different personality types so it's on the coach to figure out through that you know repeated interaction about what's going to be a big big um, trigger or a big indicator of the type of person's having a really good day whether it's you know verbal or whether it's uh, you know uh, the physical posture and demeanor i mean like even today we're at the track and one of the middle distance gals I work with at Florida State, she was kind of tired a little bit, and you could just see it in her just demeanor from the moment we met before warm up even started. And after, you know, she did a little bit of warming up, running, and dynamic drill work, 
And the little higher you're feeling today, you know, you kind of pop your loose or you're stressed out about something, you just need a little deflated. And then that recognition went a long, long way for that young woman to be able to figure out what type of workout was best that day rather than just saying, oh, well, I had planned to do this workout and this is the workout that fits in the training cycle in my ideal world. And you need to do that today because I'm the coach and you're the athlete. That's a very patriarchal relationship and you do as I say. And so, well, let's have a dialogue here, you know, really almost five, ten minutes before this workout session is supposed to begin and figure out where you're at mentally and emotionally because you might not be in a, a head space as well as a physical space to handle this type of work. You need to do something that's either a little bit more relaxed or a little bit more geared towards your strength. So that those kind of dialogues go a long, long way. You know, I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in writing a training plan and it's all about adhering to the plan, adhering to the plan. And you have, especially distance runners, we tend to be really A-type personalities that like to check off our little boxes and continue on, you know, course as planned. But if we aren't careful, it can just be uh, an effective diminished returns where we're doing the work and doing the work as good little soldiers. But because that feedback component or the athlete doesn't feel comfortable in voicing, uh, you know, their their reality to you about how they're feeling on that day or what they're experiencing, um, then you might, yeah, again, be doing all this work for nothing. I, I, I detest doing work for the sake of doing work. <laughs> this isn't CrossFit, okay? This is not CrossFit. This is training, purposeful training, and there's a difference. So <laughs> let's be serious. Let's be real about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um I think one of the things that, you know, in listening to you talk that I think, uh, should be a point that's made is that, like, you don't need to be, like, some crazy, like, body posture expert to do this, right? It's just, um, observation and almost like I'd call it, like, attentive observation, like, looking at, at, at people, paying attention to how, what their norms are, and it just becomes second nature. It's not like, you know, I walk, or I'm sure you're the same. It's not like I walk to practice and I'm be like, okay, observe, you know, uh, Drayvon's, uh, body posture, then look at his, you know, look at how he's walking and look at if he slouched. It's like, it's second nature. Like, you've seen this kid for the last six months or year or whenever it is. And you know what his baseline norm is in terms of, you know, his demeanor, how outgoing he is, how open he is, you know, what is his normal walk is like. It's like you just have that norm and ingrained and you show up to practice and you see him walking around or getting ready to uh, jog around in the warm up. And you can, it's almost like automatically, subconsciously, it just goes off and you're like, oh, something's wrong here. Like, I think that's what we're talking about. Like, any deviation from the norm is like this, this trigger that says, okay, like something is off with somebody. Um, what does that mean in terms of coaching and what we can handle? And I think that's really where the, the, uh, the art of coaching, um, uh, makes a, makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And that's, that sensitivity is key because coaching is ultimately good coaching is relationship building. Uh, you know, creating that rapport between an athlete and a coach. One of my biggest pet peeves is now that I'm a more mature coach, and, you know, if I was talking to myself as a younger coach, it would be 
especially if you're working with high school teams, college teams, or any team that meets on a youth teams, any team that meets on a regular basis, whether it's you know daily for a season or um, you know a work week or even throughout the year, it's simply as a coach finding that time every day before the you know before the session's done, whether it's recovery run, long run, workout, to check in and say hi to the athlete individually, like. Say, hey, how you doing, Maggie? Hey, how you doing, Andrew? Hey, how you, you know, how you feeling today, um, Gwyneth? How you, uh, what, what's going on today, Kristen? You know, it's like that little individuality of just checking in one-on-one is huge for these uh, every athlete, especially the scholastic athletes, the young scholastic athletes, you know, coaches who are listening to this might work with. So, because what it does is it, it reaffirms just by saying hello in the person's name, it reaffirms that connection point with um, with you and that athlete. Because as a coach, you are inherently in an authoritative role. But I always tell people, I may be an authority, but I don't, you know, it's not like this is a, um, you know, militant society and I'm flexing my authority all the time. I mean, it's actually more of a, a, a exchange where we're guiding people and helping nurturing people. And we were just a stage uh, wisdom that's been there with the GPS and the roadmap of how to help you improve and perform better rather than, again, going back to a very militaristic do as I say, you know, up on three type deal. So really, I encourage all the coaches out there, just take that little bit of time and, you know, you can't hit every athlete before a carpet ride. You can't hit every athlete even during or before, depending on how big your team is, before a workout. But if you find some way throughout the course of the time you're with that athlete, whether it's a run and or after your kind of core or um, drill work or weight work, that just check in individually and say, hey, how are you doing today, so-and-so? It's going to go a long way to firm up that relationship with that person because then they know you're recognizing them every day. And I think we take for granted with the influx of social media and people being out there and on the phones all the time. The reason that stuff's so popular, especially with youth, because it's a, a modality for them to be recognized. It's an avenue for recognition. But if they get the physical, real recognition, that's going to endow them a little bit more to you. And so um, you know, that's one of my big calls to action on this podcast for all the coaches of classic athletes listening in. You know, make that, make that check-in a daily habit for you and your coaching practices. I guarantee you'll go a long, long way with your new athletes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean... I what I found is you know the warm up time before workouts is one of the best times to do that either you know before practice or even when athletes are just kind of you know going through their drills and and uh, you know changing on their spikes or putting on their flats like a lot of time that's where I'll I'll walk around and just you know talk to talk to everyone individually and just check in and then. The other time I like to do that is post workout is after their cool downs because everyone's everyone's kind of like the stress of the workouts come off everyone's a little bit you know more more low key and relaxed and if it was a good workout they're kind of pumped up and excited and ready to talk so it's a it's a great time to just kind of get in there and just check in see how people are doing um, another thing is I I know as coaches a lot of times we get carried away with well you know i i have this work to do and you know i'm gonna get in the workout and then i gotta go back to the office and do all this paperwork or whatever is 
is sticking around a little after practice and, and engaging with people. You know, one, one of the things that we have and we're fortunate enough to have is, you know, we have a little, you know, breakfast place right next to our, our track essentially, um, which is all the athletes get free breakfast. So, you know, a couple days a week, I'll just go in there and sit in there for 30, 40 minutes while ever, where all the athletes come through after practice and, get their breakfast and hang out for five to 10 minutes. And it's a, it's a perfect segue to get to see how each person is doing on an individual level. Um, because I think in this social media obsessed world, which I'm guilty of as much as anybody else, um, but you really lose that, that kind of connection and you really lose that, that check-in ability. Like I feel like more than ever kids now need to know that there's, you know, they have some sort of connection to something outside of this, like, oh, I'm going to go tweet this and get some sort of response and feel good about myself or Snapchat this and get some like and all that stuff. So really checking in and seeing how people are doing is is one of the most basic things you could do as a coach. But it's also one of the most paramount, I think, that makes the biggest difference in not only making sure you understand your athletes, but also getting that team culture going. Yeah, I think, you know, that's it's a challenging thing for a, a lot of coaches with bigger teams, especially you, the big high school teams or the larger college teams. And maybe that's where you can delegate to your assistants or you have volunteers or younger assistants helping you out and saying, hey, all right, you're in charge of the freshmen, you're in charge of the sophomores, I'll take the juniors and the seniors. Or, you know, however you want to divvy it up. Um, because I think as long as they have someone, you know, it's, it's going to allow them to feel that circle of safety. And to me, that's one of the most important things a leader does. A leader, you know, creates a circle of safety. And without that circle of safety, you really can't be productive with anything. Um, otherwise, you know, everything you try to do will just not, you know, fulfill to its full potential. Now, again, you know, we live in this, very safe society for the most part where you can go to bed and not worry about anyone coming in and robbing, you know, your whole house or sticking up at gunpoint when you're walking down the street to go catch the bus or, you know, catch the um, uh, uh, subway to go to work or something, you know, that re- that's a rarity rather than a normalcy for us. And that's, uh, you know, one of the benefits of living in America as opposed to third world, third world countries or really war torn countries. Same thing with your team. Same thing with your dynamic is you have to create a circle of safety where it's okay for athletes to fail. It's okay for people to be wrong. It's okay for people to check in and be honest about if they're sick or not feeling good or this or that. But if you, you know, create this highly militant, non-emotional environment, what's going to happen is you might get results, yes, but they're short-term results that's going to be at the cost of creating long-term culture and long-term relationships that are going to benefit everyone with a bunch of intersection points down the road. I mean, one of the most fun things I have is hearing from athletes, uh, you know, alumnus from other universities I've coached at or high schools I coached at about what they're doing. Hey, coach, I'm getting married. Hey, coach, you know, got this new great job. Hey, coach, just had a kid. You know, those things are the things that are going to live on forever, not, hey, I ran, you know, 350 
one or three forty for fifteen hundred one year. I made it to the NCAA national championship, or I won a state title in you know cross country. Those are great things, but you know it's, the, the bigger thing is about that circle of safety. Because if you can show people what that looks like through a team setting, then they can better identify what that looks like in their professional setting, in their family setting, and then also too. Um, have them be agents who can create that moving forward in whatever capacity of good work they do. So, you know, I'm one of the books I like to throw out there is um, by Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last. He talks explicitly about that circle of safety and the paramount importance of it. So, you know, it, I, I like reading a lot of leadership books, and that's one of the key ones for me that uh, really changed the way I coach and the change the way I created cultures and uh, environments to help ensure that the athlete from a holistic perspective and knowing that person and that athlete um, really was paramount. Yeah, so that's uh, actually very similar to what um, what I kind of implemented when I got to Houston here is, you know, they were coming from a very uh, militant system, as you put it, whereas, you know, you show up too late for practice, you get this punishment. If you miss, you get this punishment. If you, you know, don't do this workout, you get this taken away. And and what we changed was, I remember that first day, was, I was like, all right, I'm going to treat you guys like adults. Like, I'm going to give what you guys give. So if you guys give a huge effort, I'm going to give that back in return. And I, we have these certain expectations. And and it, and what it's done is it's really kind of put the, well, first it's it's kind of empowered them to, to be able to do things, right? And uh, change the mindset there a little bit. But it's also done a lot of, a lot of the same things that um, you just talked about is as it shifts the responsibility, um, it kind of creates this partnership instead of this kind of dic- dictator type system. And, you know, for me, the results have been huge. And now what we have is almost, I like to say, as I have, you know, like 25 other coaches with me out there because they all get it. They all understand what we're trying to do. Um, and they're all very open about, um, if, uh, if they're sore, if they're tired, if they stayed up late, if they didn't get any sleep. It's, it's not that type where you might see in, you know, other systems. It certainly was like this when I was in college. It's like if someone, you know, stayed up all night, they just wouldn't tell the coach, right? So I, I'm actually very happy that I get athletes say, Hey, you know, they'll send me a text and they'll be like, Hey, you know, um, I stayed up until 2 a.m. I had a test. I know I should have got some sleep, but I, you know, I didn't. So this is why I'm feeling bad. You know, in one sense, I'm like, well, that kind of sucks. I'd, I would have loved to have you um, get some sleep. But in another sense, I'm like, man, this is like a college age, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, you know, being upfront, honest, saying, hey, this is what happened, um, just so you know, because they've been ingrained with, it matters, right? It's better to let me know what is going on um, and be honest and upfront about it than try and fake your way through it and be uh, be wary or scared of some punishment or some, uh, you know, me getting mad or something like that. So it's it's been pretty enlightening to watch it unfold and, and see how, uh, how it's gone. Yeah, that's great to hear, Steve. I mean, that's essentially you're endowing them with the ability to, take full responsibility for their actions and just and be transparent with that. I mean, we're not Superman and Wonder Woman. We can't do everything, but, you know, for us working with 
Klusk athletes, they're student athletes first. I mean, they're not full-time employees of the University of Houston or University or Portland State University, where all you're here is meant to be is this athletic robot. So, it, you know, we never, sometimes we lose sight of that in um, the competitive aspect of the sport in the college and the high school ranks. But the reality is they're going to do that because we want them to pass classes. We want them to have great GPAs. We want them to graduate and go off into the workforce and, you know, better the uh, climate of whatever profession they enter in than when they stepped, stepped there initially. So, you know, kudos to that. I mean, we try to do exactly that as well here at PSU is, you know, have these young men want to be vocal, speak up, and let me know because we don't want to waste a workout and that you could very well waste a workout by just not being transparent about how you're feeling. And I think that ownership and awareness helps the athlete take more engagement and also get more excited about their process and their training and their racing because once they realize, oh, I have a voice in this, I can have some feedback and dialogue and let my coach know how I'm doing and they're going to help challenge me but also help me figure out this a little bit better, then everything moves forward from a cultural standpoint. I often like have athletes coach other athletes up. I'll say, hey, Spencer, coach this person up on this drill. You know, because you do it really well. You do it perfect. You know how to do it. Coach them up, and I'll go work with this person. Or, hey, you know, guys, you know, choose this this guy or this guy. I'll say, okay, this person's the coach right now to do this. You know, it's just something very simple like a, uh, you know, mobility uh, circuit or, you know, going over some hurdle drills or a speed ladder. I mean, something that's not super-duper critical in make or break, but allows, you know, people to just feel like it's more, there's some peer-to-peer engagement rather than adult to um, young person um, type of authority engagement. I think, you know, we're in a, a new era and we're in a new, uh, you know, culture, so to speak, where people respond better than that than they might have in the more militaristic, hey, you guys are late by, you know, every second you're late to push-up, you're late 60 seconds to 60 push-ups to practice. I get it. People are late. You know, they, you know, some days will be early. Some days will be late. Some days will be right on time. But I always, uh, you know, take the wise words from J.J. Uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings with, uh, you know, uh, Gandalf. He goes, a wizard's never early, nor is he never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of that stuff has really, really valuable wisdom. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, to kind of bring this thing full circle here, it's really about just getting to know been subtle nuances that makes your team as a whole, as a, a cohesive group, and the individuals that have roles within that team click. I mean, every year, the teams I work with, even though it might be the same university, are always drastically different teams because it might be the same kids, but now these kids are becoming young men and women and they've matured a little. Things are a little bit more um, important to them now that they're juniors and seniors rather when they're quiet, docile, exploratory exploratory freshman and sophomore. So it's a constant evolution uh, for both the athlete and the coach and the team. And that's the fun and excitement to me of coaching is being on that ride and being a part of it and recognizing that, you know, we're constantly improving and, and changing to get better. Exactly. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. So I think if you look at coaching as a whole, like our goal is to change people. It's, it physically changed people so that they're a completely different runner, whether from a, you know, cell changing their actual mitochondria cells to, you know, uh, 
till changing them psychologically on a, on a whole point. And I think that's huge is that the runners you have now aren't going to be the ones two, three years down the line. And it's just like you said, I mean, I was fortunate, um, last year we didn't lose a single soul off our men's, um, men's team. Um, but it's a completely different team this year than it was last year because they've evolved and grown and grown in different areas and people have different responsibilities and all of that good stuff. And even though it's by and large, all the same people, it's completely different atmosphere, completely different team. And I think, as you said, that's, that's where coaching is fun. It's your job as a coach to respond. Well, first off to see those changes, to see those dynamics and, understand what they bring to the table and then respond to that. And I think that's where, you know, we can have the best systems in the world and, um, you know, the best plan in the world, but it's really this kind of modulating, uh, based on who you're working with, uh, both on an individual and team wise that, that sets things apart. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, well so why don't we uh, end this one here, and uh, then we'll be back at it next week. Cool. Sounds good, Steve. Thanks again to everyone who's been a, an avid listener and uh, even a new listener. We really appreciate it. And please, please, please reach out to Steve and I with questions and or comments or things you'd like to hear us um, that back and forth here on the pod. Um, you know, you can either reach out to Steve and I via email. Um, we're pretty active on Twitter. Uh, maybe Steve on this pod, you can put our Twitter handles up on yep. um, your recap, your, your recap, and so people can, you know, direct message us there, or even just tweet at us, you know, what you like to see on the next pod. We'd be happy uh, to consider it uh, moving forward because we want to know what everyone wants to know about. We, you know, we don't know it all. We know very little, <laughs> but we're we're happy to just at least dialogue and you know. Uh, catalyze the discussion for you to continue on in your coaching practice um, to help you get better and more engaged. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. I'll put the, our Twitter handles and contact stuff um, on my blog where this is posted. So cool deal, John. Well, until next time. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ray.